Is life well with you generally, Jimbo? Any more mad frogs coming out of your uh, flood? Oh, shit. We're still marooned. We're marooned today. And we're, we've got just about enough pasta to see us through still. So we're all right. But hopefully tomorrow it will clear. But shit, man. Like we've had friends in Brisbane on the news and stuff. Like, it's pretty... Wow. I mean, losing their house on the news, you know, so we haven't caught up with them properly yet because obviously they're in a bit of trauma right now. But yeah, it's pretty nasty. But hopefully it will go down in the next 24 hours. They're calling it a rain bomb, is what the news is referring to. Rain bomb? That's a good name for a film. It's pretty amazing. It's amazing. It's like like 100 millilitres minimum. and, And then it's burst all the rivers. And then, of course, the rivers have come up and... There's pickies of like, you know, places we've been where the water is like up to the sign of like a, you know, uh, they've got a place called Bunnings Warehouse, which is like, a, I don't know, Sainsbury's home base, but it's the epicenter of Aussie on a Saturday where you know everyone goes, but it's like right up beyond wow. the door, beyond the thing, up to the sign, waterlogged, like just... Wow sort of relevant, sort of, very, very loosely. But you know what I found out today? And again, I don't know if this is true, but you can't get buried when you're dead. You can't be buried in New Orleans because um, it's so swampy and waterlogged and its relation to sea level. Um, If you bury someone, maybe it'll be a week, maybe it'll be a month or a year, but the earth will exhume you and push you out and they'll just be coffins pushed back up to the earth yeah yeah so you can't you have to be buried above ground in like crypts and shit which is why there are crypts in new orleans um not underground burials that's amazing think on yeah (laughs) (laughs) and again i don't know i heard that today i haven't done any research to see if it's true but it sounds like it could be true so i choose to believe it's true there's something very enigmatic about that ship. It's something like, it's like a little detail for a novel or something that I like it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's creepy as fuck. It's lovely. It's wonderful. Mm. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, lovely. Well, Jimmy, I'm very excited. Shall we? Shall we jump and splash and see what happens? Is there anything else? I'm we... I'm good, Sheppy. If you're good, yeah, man. Let's let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Sheppy. Well, welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy. Hello, I'm Sheppy. Doing a nice subdued, like a chill out voice. I like it. We're going to talk about something very bombastic today, Sheppy. I I think that's really nice and lovely. Yeah, well, look, if this is your first pod, then we are the What If podcast for alternate universes, sequels, prequels to existing Beloved classics and not so classics, Sheppy. <laughs> <laughs> like Flight of the Navigator is what your eyes are telling me. Yeah, but I, I don't care. You've just got to get over that. that. You've got to get over <laughs> that. You, you made the right call. That, that. That's there forever. Uh, you wait. You just wait. You think Flight <laughs> of the Navigator was bottom of the barrel. I have got something special lined up, but that's, that's for later. Oh In the meantime, oh, yes. Oh, yes. But in the meantime, you set a, a fascinating uh, a pitch idea for today's episode, Jimmy, which I'm all a flutter over. Uh, what was the film that you uh, that you threw at me? I threw it at you, Sheppy. I, I thought it might be interesting to do a sequel to Robert Zemeckis' Forrest Gump. Yeah. 
I'm loving yes. it. Oh, uh, wow. Great, it's wonderful stuff. I'm, yeah, uh, so again, it's, I love it. Little things like that. Never have thought of that. And yeah, what a lovely idea. Um, there have been sequels mooted over the years, and I believe there is a sequel to the original book. Um, but I, I don't know much yeah, about Yeah, I saw it. that. Gump and Co, it's called. And I yeah. didn't even look at it because I didn't want to be no. included. So uh, if there's some crossover there, but I, I, I don't think there will be. We can't. Said Winston Groom is still suing Paramount over profits from the first one. So he's going to leave us alone. Can I just say on profits, Jeffy, as you've just mentioned profits, like 55 mil budget made $678.2 million wow. at the box. I mean, first of all, wow, that's a relatively small budget. I mean, even for 94, that's, that's not bad, especially because of doing that pure Zemeckis, lots of cutting edge special effects and clever uses of technology and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. And that's great. You mentioned that. Yeah. First of all, monster hit. People, yeah. I think, take for granted Forrest Gump um, and forget that in 94, it was an event, an event. It came out. There were huge trailers. I remember Channel 4 saying, like, tune in on Friday or something at 11 o'clock at night because Gump is coming. They kept saying Gump is coming. It was a very nice advertising campaign. And then there was like an extended like three or four minute trailer um, for his Gump on this really obscure time, late night on Channel 4. Um, and there was buzz about it and it did come out and it was huge. And again, people do forget because it's like, oh yeah, Forrest Gump, fine, good, indifferent, or I love it or whatever. But it was, it was up there with like a big you know, media hit. Um, so fair play to that. Where did you first see it, Sheppy? Obviously the cinema, I'm assuming, right? Just right, there. yeah. Well, yeah, no, I'll tell you, I did. I saw it at Guildford Odeon, and that would be the one up the top of the high street uh, back in the day in 94. And I'll tell you this, I went to see it uh, with Rob Bryant and Stezza Ward. And we were meant to go and I, because, and I'm, I'm totally going to drop him in it, because <laughs> everyone cares. Um, we were meant to go. I went and met Stezza from the bus stop. We came back to where we'd left Rob, and he disappeared. Spent like 20 minutes minimum looking for him, pre-mobile phones, at least for us anyway. Um, eventually found him buying some trainers. So what are you doing? We have to go to the cinema. We schlep up the high street to the Guildford Odeon. But because we're late, because he just disappeared, uh, we there were only like there weren't seats because it was such a big deal. Everyone wanted to see Boris Gump because we were like at least delayed twenty or thirty minutes because Rob just disappeared. So we get there, but there were no seats together. The best bet was three in a <clears throat> in a line, one in front of the other. And so I went back because I didn't want to make the executive decision, and I said to them that's the option, are you cool doing that and not sitting next to each other? And they're like, yeah, it doesn't make any difference once the film starts, you know, it's fine. I went back, but it was too late and we missed the opportunity to see it. It was, um, they oh. sold out super fast. So we, we couldn't watch at that time. So we rented out a really, really bad uh, horror film. You know what, maybe from the Incredible Hulk Returns, Return of the Incredible Hulk shop, maybe it might, you know, 
just between that full circle. And then we went and watched this video um, of Rob's brother's flat in, in Guildford instead. And then it was like a week or two later, Rob and I, but not Steza, so he was totally fucked. Um, we went and we did see Forrest Gump in Guildford, yeah, like a week or two later. Um, that's really all I remember. I remember I liked it very much, actually. And, you know, I like, I've always liked the Mechas. Um, Jeffy, you could before say we now, lose it, can I just say, before we lose it, like, I think you dodged a bullet to sit anywhere in the vicinity. If you'd have drawn that short straw and sat in front of Rob Bryant on that cinema experience, <laughs> you'd have had a popcorn hat for the entire movie. <laughs> whether you liked it or not. Right. Like, you know. and, whether, and that's valid. And sitting behind Steza, I don't know if you remember, he was a very tall chap even in 94. <laughs> so you don't want to be stuck behind him. And I probably would have been in the middle with Bryant behind me, Steza in front and popcorn all over. So yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> you're right. So yeah, but it dodged. <laughs> what about you, Jimbo? I don't remember seeing the cinema. I did see it in the cinema. I couldn't tell you about the moment and the experience and the outside and the foyer or anything. I will tell you that I too, I sort of loved it at the time. I think first viewing, I loved it. I've seen it multiple, multiple times. And, you know, I, I, culminating in a real, I, I cringe to say this, so I'm going to purge my soul for you now, Sheffy. But I remember then my relationship with it changed materially by the end of the decade. Like, you know, mm. by, by the time it got to the year 2000, I sort of was unpicking it from all sorts of angles. And I think... I'll say this, I, and I'm sort of jumping to something I was going to say later, but I'll just say it now, like, and then I'll tell you my embarrassing thing. But just, I think my problem with it is it's got really bombastic, wonderful moments that I remember giving me shivers in the early viewings and, like, you know, where he sees Jenny at the rally and they hug in Washington, like, you know, and the crowd cheers and everything, you know, all that stuff I loved. I always loved big moments like that in, in movies. And then, but just over time, I didn't, you know, the, the Jenny relationship with him started to become a bit manipulative in my view of it, and I, I couldn't quite reconcile it. And then it just started to get really cheesy when he starts to sort of name things and do things that influence things, and it just started to unthread a little bit for me. And anyway, to the point where the movie just started to piss me off, like an ex-girlfriend or something, like you were in love with it, and now it's like, no, screw you. You know, you think you're going for something, but you're not really giving us that, you know? And all those magic moments that were close to your heart are now tainted, and you're like, did you really mean it when you hugged her in front of the Washington Monument? Did you? Yeah, it was always a lie, wasn't it? Was I that? I understand, actually, Jimbo. It's a valid um, point. And we'll come to Jenny in a minute, but I just want to say, like, I... I, I then remember then my, my most vivid viewing experience, regrettably, is coming home a bit pissed once. And I was living with my mum temporarily at this point. And um, I must have been like, God, I don't know, 21 or something. And I get home, bit half cut. Mum is about a third of the way through Forrest Gump. And she still tells me I ruined that movie for her. Because when oh. I sit down next to her and I get, I scoff. I slap my thigh. I'm like, oh, oh, no, that's absolutely, you see, this is the problem with this movie. It yeah. is like all that sort of stuff. And, and for shame. 90 minutes, poor old mum, you know, yeah. stupid is a stupid did, Sheppy. Stupid. Oh, 
There you go. Mama used to say, I ruined Forrest Gump forever. I'm never speaking to you again. Well, that's valid. That's, that's totally valid. Um, in terms of that, well, bad luck, Jimmy, but we've all had little regrettable moments like that. And it does speak to the fact that in 94, people loved Forrest Gump, basically, as far as I'm aware. Um, everyone really liked it. And it, but it did cool off very, very quickly. And that's probably why, you know, again, I'm sure lots of people still love that film. I've still got time to it. I haven't seen it for a while, I will say. I, um, I respect the iconicness of it, Sheppy, massively. Yeah. To all the set design, the lines, you know. That, one other thing I'll just quickly say is, like, I've come full circle and my mama said, life is like a box of chocolates. Thought it was clever at the beginning. Realised it was stupid because you could just look at the index card. Well, that's pithy, but okay. But then, then I guess ultimately, of course, it is nice and it is happy and it is iconic. And whether you like it or not, went immediately into the lexicon, along with like another seven phrases from one movie. Like, yeah. it's extraordinary, isn't it? Like, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. I think people rebelled against the fact that everyone took it to their heart and was quoting it and then everyone got really sick of it really quickly because of the iconic moments which were instantly iconic and quoted and you can do it you know impressions of Forrest Gump and all of that and Roland Forrest which actually became a massive quote after Fight Club interestingly but all of that people did sort of rebel against it and I'm sure a lot of people are still pretty divisive against it and probably rightly so it's brilliantly made um, and again, just to the Washington Monument scene with Jenny, the cr huge crowd of people, it was all CGI people, or maybe it was like a third of real extras. And that we take for granted these days. But again, it was pretty cutting edge at the time. Like you couldn't tell. It was one of those films where sometimes you knew it was a special effect because you knew he wasn't really sitting next to John Lennon. But there were you know, a million special effects in that film that you weren't aware special effects like very clever trickery and all sorts of things so just that was very impressive the zelig of it all with him meeting people again whether or not you like that it was well done i think and they got around like any potential dodginess because they used realistic film stock of the era to cover up any cracks and so on um yeah you know i heard it said that I don't know, I don't want to get too much into one thing or another about it, but it's it's still sort of a bit sniffed at and sneered at, but it is iconic, and who knows, maybe everyone has sort of come a bit full circle on it now, and it's not as divided as it was, let's say, in the late 90s, early 2000s. The other thing is that, if, you, if now's a good time to mention, it won the Oscar. I mean, Hanks won his second Oscar in a row. It was the year after Philadelphia. And he gave another embarrassing, overly emotional speech when he won. And it won Best Film. And it beat Pulp Fiction. And it's one of those things. It's now like Dances with Wolves beating Goodfellas or Shakespeare in Love beating Saving Private Ryan or even Rocky, which I adore, beating Taxi Driver. You're like, oh, okay, well. Mm. So... It is one of those where actually its win and what it won against, you know, what is seen as like, oh, well, obviously, you know. I mean, and I like Dancing with Wolves too. But, you know, yeah. Just quickly it's, it's, on the Oscars there then. So 
the the field was quite extraordinary although i never saw quiz show but so it was up against pulp fiction quiz show four weddings and a funeral i mean i think probably deserves to beat four weddings but um and shawshank redemption <laughs> well, well you know shawshank yeah that is i mean quiz show is proper i've seen this and it's good and, and it's proper oscar like you could say cynically it's oscar bait but it's it's an oscar film it's, it's the sort of film that wins oscars so there's that shawshank was yeah it took a, a year or two before people realized how much they loved it that before they saw it as well uh forest of course is very feel good and even though it's actually quite dark and it has dark themes and it is actually in many ways very very critical against america it does somehow come across still as patriotic and yeah. so because of that that definitely won whereas of course pulp fiction same with goodfellas violent lots of naughty language but there's sodomy um and so you know it there's so yeah it's not a quote-unquote oscar film same with taxi driver so and of course rocky very big-hearted very feel-good feel-good films um, usually do the trick i mean look at schindler's list so it's it's one of those things where it doesn't quite you know it doesn't surprise me at all that it what a year it was for movies there shep so i'll give you well, one thing yeah 94 was a fantastic uh, yeah man yeah. and also i get very nostalgic thinking about the films that and one, when I, I dove, dove into the Oscars, and I was surprised that for either actress or supporting actress, there was no Robin Wright nomination. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's yeah. pretty good in it. And, and it's, again, it's quite an iconic role. I just, it was, it was another surprise of the Oscars yeah. regarding Gump for me that I just thought, oh, okay, interesting, you know. I, yeah, no, that is valid. Um, Zemeckis won, didn't he? Yeah, um, he beats... And- Quentin and he beats Woody Allen for Bullets Over Broadway, Robert right. Redford for Quiz Show, and Koshlowski for Three Colors Red. So, right. Yeah. yeah, there you go. I remember Koshlowski didn't turn up to the Oscars, uh, but he did turn up to the Golden Globe. No, or maybe it was the Baptist. Um, and then Four Weddings won, and you must be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, I'm going to give the English one a bit of like kudos, and now I'm going to my four weddings. I remember that. I feel I remember feeling at the time really embarrassed for <laughs> so so there's that. Um there was one other thing I wanted to oh yeah well just in terms of 94 for a second speed which I have happy memories of um I want to say Stargate was early as well I'm not saying Stargate is the best film but I have really nostalgic memories of going to see Stargate I want to say even maybe Tombstone was 93, but it was around that sort of time. Maybe it was released in England in 94, like double Kurt Russell. And also Star Trek Generations was 94. And that's not a perfect film, quite quite the opposite. But I have really, really happy, nostalgic memories of seeing Star Trek Generations. So it's all wrapped up in that. And The Mask as well. Um, so, yeah. yeah, a lot of things. Nice, Sheppy. I yeah. don't have a lot more to say about Forrest. I mean, do you... Um... Just about Jenny, one quick thing is people have been writing essays for quite a long time about how Jenny isn't a very nice person. Even on Instagram, relatively recently, someone posted a thing as if 
like they were the first person to notice it, but like saying like, hey, wait a minute, Jenny, Jenny's horrible, isn't she? And it's like, yeah, she is actually. Um, and lots of problems there. And in fact, you told me, and again, this was like even as early as like 95, 96, and you said, I heard about a question that people are being given <laughs> for their exams, and it's um, Jenny is a horrible character, discuss. <laughs> and it was like that, <laughs> it was like, oh, that's a really good point, yeah. Just in terms of, she's, you know, she's a not just a two-dimensional character, she does love Boris, but she perhaps loves herself more. Yeah, yeah, fair as well, maybe. Mm. Mm. Yeah. What do we really yeah. need or expect for the multi-billionaire Forrest Gump who's landed on his feet pretty well? Thanks very much. I don't know, it's interesting, isn't it? But I, I, yeah, yeah. No, he, he, he's in love with the wrong girl and he sees her in a very pure fashion. She's not pure. And that's also part of the theme. It's not controversial to say. Um, but yeah, you know. But interesting that she wasn't not just coming back to that as well. Was, I think Gary Sinise was, wasn't he? Or not? Yeah, I think he was too. I haven't got it up or open, but I think he was Sheps, yeah. Yeah, so at oh, the end of the day, he didn't have a leg to stand on. But I respect Zemeckis for pulling off CGI gimmickry like that, like yes. the amputations, and then like, but, but holding it as part of the narrative as well as he does, like, fair play. It yes. is. It's it's not his best movie by any stretch. I think it's really low down in my Zemeckis list. But it is, I get, it is a bit of a masterpiece, whether you like it or not. It's just there. It's just, mm. it's stunning. And it's very cinematic, and I'm always a sucker for that. But Hank is very, very good. Mm. Yes, yes, fair play to all of that, yes. Um, well, no, I don't have anything really much more to add. I mean, my main going to see Forrest Gump story was that I didn't end up seeing it. So that probably <laughs> says it all. <laughs> but um, hooray for Zemeckis, hooray for Hanks, um, hooray for Gary Sinise, hooray for Bubba, and yeah, for Jenny. <laughs> Good old Bubba. I don't even really mention Bubba in my, I don't mention Bubba in my pitch. I, no. I probably should have just had a, there, there would be a nod to him. There's going to be a bit of that, Sheppy, honestly. When we, should we just do them? Let's do I'm it. I'm a bit Let's nervous about mine, and I'll tell you why. Like, I set this thinking it would be a nice, easy one after the, the, the hulkiness, and then really struggled. I, as usual, had nothing in the clip, nothing, not even a sniff on this. <laughs> and then, luckily for me, got a, a few cancellations yesterday. So actually, just behind the, let me just say, let me say, I woke up this morning, I think, will I say this? And I think, I'm going to say this, Shepard, because I really want to give you your two particularly. Like, you and I, we work full-time, Sheppy, full-time. And every week, we come to this here table... <laughs> <laughs> And we try and come up with a pitch for each other. This isn't what we do for a living. <laughs> we, have, we have jobs, we have relationships, we have responsibilities, and we choose for you, dear good listener. We choose for we you. We just lost everyone. <laughs> yes. Everyone is like, nope. <laughs> Cry me a river. Cry me a river. But 
fair play, Jimmy. But uh, the extraordinary hard. things you come up with, Sheppy, and I mean this sincerely, and I'm not trying to like, you know, get anything back. I just mean it. Like what you come up with is extraordinarily well thought through every single time. I have patchy forms. Sometimes I hit heights. I've tried to go for something here with Gump, and I'm really happy with a couple of elements of it. But I will say, overall, you'd stand back from it and say, uh, okay, look, it's not, it didn't quite live up to what I hoped it would be. But what I want to say is I've gone into one in a couple of spots. As I go through it, I'll say, look, there's more to tell there. Imagine a few more cool scenes between those two or imagine this going a bit more. And it really comes down to three chunks. Forrest Gump Jr., directed by Robert Zemeckis in 2006. I will tell you now, I spent as long on the pitch and as I did researching who could play Forrest Gump Jr. Wow. <laughs> time later, and who could play Forrest Gump Teenager, Junior Teenager, and who could right. play Forrest Gump Junior Adult. And that sounds like I spent no time on the pitch because it was very pithy and I found the people. I spent at least 45 minutes <laughs> looking at child actors for a <laughs> No, no, that, that's all good stuff. And, um, and, and by the way, it doesn't even matter because I just sort of, I just take you through Forrest Gump Jr. through the ages and I'm not going to tell you who's playing and where and when, but you know, anyway, you just have to accept it. But, but yeah, it's more about Hanks, to be honest, and, and the age. And also, when you said earlier, like they debated a, a sequel, then 9-11 happened and the world changed and, you know, they thought, okay, well, you know, we can't possibly do it anymore. I don't understand that as a reason not to do it, 9-11. I didn't know that was a reason. Yeah, if you Google it a bit, they just say 9-11 sort of put a halt to the sequel because they just thought, oh, things are too different now. And Forrest Gump spoke to a specific kind of America. But my view is Forrest Gump spoke to America and then dealt with some very tricky history. And I just can't help but feel, look, you could lean into the 9-11 of it all a yeah. little bit. So I, I have done Sheppy, a little mini tease as well right. there. So so anyway, anyway. Well, that's, yeah, no, it's a very good point. It goes into dark moments in the American dream. Yeah. Pretty fucking dark moment. Apparently, by the way, True Lies, uh, which I think is also 94, um, the sequel to that was possibly going to happen and then 9-11 happened. And... Cameron said, oh, well, suddenly terrorism didn't seem so funny, so we didn't do it anymore. But it's like, I, if you did a sequel to True Lies, don't use, like, Middle Eastern terrorists anyway, because you've already done that. Use, I don't know, French people or something. You know, <laughs> I, I should hope that you wouldn't use the same sort of stereotypes. So I don't believe a word Cameron's saying. It's all over the place. That's a tangent, but... I just wanted to throw that out. You just wanted to go to Wellington and tinker with this avatar shopping. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's a euphemism. Just... <laughs> oh, crikey. Yeah, getting the, the blue cat to stand to attention. Eh? I understand. And I think you, I'm glad they didn't do it, to be honest, Sheppy, because I'm glad it just exists as Gump. But I would say there are loads of threads actually outstanding. And I, I feel like this movie is, I, the Gump Jr. is seeking to address my biggest problem with the first, if you like, and, and the nice. manipulation that we've discussed. So um, we can, uh, yeah, 
Well, look, should I go for it, Sheps, and just Please. dive in with my cast? So I've cast this little known character as uh, Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump. <laughs> I don't know, it's not even a joke, I'm sorry. I don't know why. I don't mind oh, wow. another coffee before I get to the end of it. <laughs> um, so for the Forrest Gump Jr. character, I've got Ellie Fusile, I think is the way you pronounce the name. He's the voice of the baby in Incredibles, but he looks very similar to... Um, the uh the two other people i've got in here as well but you know so for whatever it's worth for the limited sure. team in um eli or ellie must be eli fusil is uh is the voice of the baby and his forest Gump junior here victor razuk as forest Gump junior as a teenager i mean sheppy i couldn't even bloody tell you who he was but he's a breakout star in 05 he's in a he's nominated for an oscar for a skateboarding oh. movie called lords of dogtown i don't know if you've ever I've heard of it yeah, but I've not seen it. So he's going to be Forrest Gump Jr. as a bit of a teenager, and Luke Wilson of uh, Tenenbaums and and Old School uh, mm. is going to be Forrest Gump Jr. as an adult. Okay, so that's your just to just keep those guys in mind. I won't bother telling you who's playing him at the time. It's just going to be the character, which is desperately disciplined of me, given <laughs> recent <you know, laughs> flipping in and out of character and actor as I talk about them. And then, so, Lieutenant Dan will be back for a cameo. Gary Sinise's in. We've got Kate Blanchett as Miss Daniels, <laughs> as promised. Oh. <laughs> we won't get to that at the end. Oh, uh, yes, got, don't um, forget, that's, that's <laughs> good stuff. Uh, we've got Thomas Hayden Church as a character called Jake Bowden. So we're getting Hayden Church at his peak of sidewaysness. We've got Jaden Smith, uh, Will Smith's kid, as, as William. We've got William Defoe coming in as a character called Captain Smith. And we've got Robin Wright as a very, very brief cameo Ooh. as Jenny. So very um, nice. Just in flashback, you know. So our credits are going to be in exactly the same font as you would expect. And we're going to have, uh, we're going to pick up immediately from the feather bouncing around the sky from the bus stop, as we saw at the end of the first one. Um, so it, it leaves Tom Hanks's, it comes out of the book, doesn't it? That's yeah. right. And then lands on Tom's feet, foot and then gets whisked up and goes through the air. And that's, you know, the feather is back again. And we go really close on the feather. We're following it as we, you know, get the, the cast and the director by. And then literally with the director by Zemeckis, it catches in a tree. And then we just hear, with the camera still on the feather, um, we hear Luke Wilson's voice say, apparently my grandmother used to say that life was like a box of chocolates and I never understood it. But as a kid, I never really understood who I was and where I was from. And then we see that Luke Wilson is typing that phrase into a laptop. He's on a train. It's like he's typing on a train table. He's a bit frustrated and he slaps down the laptop. Uh, an elderly lady joins his carriage on the train and sits down opposite him. Um, through a bit of chit chat, we establish they're both going up the East Coast to New York, um, but he's being very cranky. <laughs> and, um, she wants to chat to him, and he's like, I'm not really much of a sharer. So it's just a little bit of a kind of a little <laughs> nod to, you know, we're not going down the hang street here, it's like <laughs> boring people's ears off on park benches. Um, so he doesn't want to exchange stories over the train. Instead, he looks out the window and instead of a little story being told to the old lady, we get a flashback and we see Forrest Gump Jr. at school. This is the youngest version of Forrest Gump Jr. Meant to be the same age as when we left Haley Joel Osment before. 
and um, and he is, you know, the geek in the class. You know, you can see he's the one paying attention and not mucking around. And um, and we've got our Kate Blanchett, Miss Daniels, running the class, um, and the kids picking on Forrest Gump Jr. a little bit. Um, the um, the class during this time gets interrupted, and we find out that um, Reagan has been shot. President Reagan has been shot. Now I'm playing around a little bit with time there. If I want to, Sheppy, I think we pick up. We end the movie in 1982, honestly, but I know it's 1981 when Forrest and Jenny kind of rekindle and that. So I'm, I'm just fudging so that a little bit. But... Is, is the very end of the original Forrest Gump with the feather and everything, is that 82? Is that established? Well, I believe so. I looked at this and apparently it's like he reconnects with Jenny in 81 and then it's a year later that Jenny's died and he's at school sort of thing. But I mean, I'm playing with that because Reagan was shot in 81. So anyway... Uh, just that's the only bit I'm really taking license with is tiny but I just thought we need stuff yeah. like this in it and it's one of the most material things that happens in the 80s isn't it so anyway school closes Reagan there. got shot not on my shift <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the school's closed for the day and Forrest Gump Jr. early you know Forrest Gump Jr. is walking home with William and there's lots of like again we're going just imagine lots of lovely Americana shots here and stuff you know I mean even just how many times have we seen class interrupted to her Kennedy's been shot and all the shot and all that sort of stuff in these movies you know so it's it's that kind of thing it's got that vibe and of course where they live is still all beautiful Savannah you know it's just got all that kind of lush um, streets and stuff with nice trees and that anyway Forrest Gump Jr. is walking home with William. You can see they're super close and they're kind of the Forrest and Jenny type thing. And they're, they're talking about He-Man or something 80s and iconic, you know. And then they get cornered by some snivelling bullies on the street and they start teasing Forrest Gump Jr. about how slow his dad is and all that sort of stuff. And they start teasing William and being pretty nasty and giving him some racist abuse and all that sort of shit. And like, anyway, they're being pushed around a bit and Miss Daniel is, is driving home and she interrupts the bullies, sends them all on their way. And, um, and then William and Forrest Gump Jr. separate. They walk, Forrest Gump Jr. walks back home, so he's not taking the bus back anyway. And so he walks home um, and, um, and, and Forrest is mowing. He gets back home and Forrest is just mowing the, the lawn and that sort of stuff. And it all looks very Classic. idyllic. Um, and they they have a little walk. He's like, you know, what are you doing? Home? I'm going to do some forests. I don't know. Oh, please, gonna... God, yes, yes. <laughs> They're going to come proper later. But you know, he's obviously, you know, what are you doing home from school? So and then they have a little walk through the paddock, and I see there's an opportunity for some nice little memorabilia in the barn or something. You know, some table tennis trophies and that sort of thing. They have a nice father son dinner together. They've got their, you can see they've got their routine down, even within themselves as father and son. They're a bit peas and carrots. Forrest Gump Jr. doesn't want to take the bus the next day because of the bullies. Um, so Forrest Gump takes him, his son to school in the car. Um, we see Forrest engage with Miss Daniels, who flirts with him a little bit. She's sort of a bit, she likes a bit of Forrest. And, um, and she asks him to fix something in the classroom or whatever, you know. And then Forrest Gump leaves and the kids are all teasing Forrest Gump Jr. again about how slow his dad is and all this sort of stuff. And Miss Daniels is basically, don't you know who Forrest Gump is, who his dad is, like that. And anyway, anyway, so then we see at a later date, we move forward, like, you know, Miss Daniels brings in a VHS, one of those wonderful old TVs on, like, wheels, you know, gets the old tape out, plays some footage of Forrest Gump, the legend, table tennis, the walking and running, you know, the, the running that he did across America and all that sort of stuff, and, and gives the kids a bit of this. And then we come back to 
the train back to Luke Wilson. He gets off at New York. It's the early noughties, you know. Um, we're talking probably, well, it's two, it is 2001. Um, so he walks a few blocks through New York and um, all very evocative and that finds an old fire station. Let's just say it's the one they use for Ghostbusters. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, anyway, um, we see the Forrest Gump senior as Hanks. He's grey, he's older, you know, um, and he spots Luke Wilson over the road. He's, I don't know, you know, prepping a fire engine or something. And he gives it a proper enthusiastic Forrest Gump wave, you know, really beaming to see Wilson. Um, and runs over and, and Wilson's like, you know, I, I really want to talk to you in this. Can we get a coffee? And so they um, we they then find a diner. They sit down, they talk together. And it's Wilson opposite Hanks as a junior opposite Forrest Gump. And he's like, you know, how's it going? And Gump is very excited because Captain Smith, who we're going to later find as William Defoe, has got us working on these new drills and this sort of thing. And um, Wilson says, you know, I was up at the, I was down at the farm, you know, and I, I went and visited mum and all this, you know. And uh, and and Gump's like, yeah, I, I want to get back there. I'm going to get back there after Christmas, you know. Um, and then he's like, you know, they, I don't know why they call this place the Big Apple. They've got the biggest tree here in Times Square at Christmas, but they don't have a Big Apple. It's the biggest Christmas tree I've ever seen. And anyway, and then, um, so he's like, what do you want to talk about like that? And so basically, Wilson then says, you know, I just, I want to know what happened in the 80s. I want to know what happened back when I was living with you. And, um, and then Forrest Gump says, you know, that was my happiest time, Forrest, my happiest time of that. And he goes, I want to know, I want to know if you were a spy. And then basically we then go back in flashback to 1985. And now we have our mechanism for Hanks to take over with a bit of voiceover narrative. And, um, and Forrest Gump Jr. is a little bit older now, um, but it's still idyllic. We've got, you know, lots of nice father son commando style, <laughs> not quite commando with a tree on his shoulder, but, you know, they're having nice ice creams and nice happy times in Savannah. Um, this little montage in 1985 culminates in a government car coming up the farm driveway to the farm. And, um, and basically the, the government car is some, uh, some agency folk asking Forrest to um, help America in the war, the, the war against Russia as a spy for the US government. It's top secret. You're going to go to London and await further instructions for your country, Mr. Gump. And Forrest comes in with a, you know, maybe in the voiceover, I see something like, a, they were talking about the Cold War. I'd been to Vietnam and that was a hot war, but this was something very different to Vietnam. Like, you know, it was all about passing notes and information and wonder. Anyway, but um, and nice. so um, Forrest Gump Jr. gets packed off to um, William's place and, um, and you see uh, Forrest Gump is actually like, you know, he does terrified really well, Hanks, doesn't he? Like his eyes are quite mad, but he's not panicking. He's just like, He's just going with it. Do you know what I mean? He does that in a very clever yes. way, I think, as Forrest Gump. He's in the back of the Forrest Gump, of the government car. Um, Forrest Gump Jr. is sort of with William as his dad drives away, and he thanks William. And William says, don't worry, I'll always have your back, like that. And so, like, you know, there's just this lovely connection with William and Forrest Gump Jr. that I've kind of undercooked a bit, but just imagine lots of niceness happening between those two boys. Um, anyway... Um, they, uh, I've given you my quote. I actually started the quote with, now I didn't know what those two gentlemen were talking about, you know, the Cold War. Anyway, Forrest arrived, nice. and then he goes, I arrived in London, and then of course we've got some pure European vacation punk rockers, 
um, <laughs> and he's sort of like absolutely fascinated by the culture and taking lots of pictures in front of all sorts of landmarks, you know, Buckingham Palace, whatever. He meets a gentleman in London in a park, let's say Hyde Park, whatever, with a little microfilm that's apparently rubbish pretend US intelligence that he's then got to give to a famous table tennis player in Russia who's a mole that's working both sides. And Forrest needs to get that information to this guy. That's basically the mission, you know. That's great. And, um, and basically, um, he, he then he gets his microfilm and he's still got some time to kill. So he continues snapping um, to the point where he's taking pictures in Trafalgar Square, trying to get all of Nelson's column in. He steps backwards into the road. A cab swerves, a black cab swerves to avoid him, crashes. Um, and the fella in the cab has injured his hand. And um, he's like, oi, mate, you know, bloody hell, I've got a gig I'm on the way to. I'm not going to be able to play anymore. Can you play the bloody drums for me or whatever? You know, and he's like, and Forrest is like, well, I know how to play the drums, sir. And so Forrest gets in the car. Of course, the gig's at Wembley. Um, they plonk a wig on Forrest. The drummer <laughs> in the cab was only Roger Bloody Taylor. And Forrest <laughs> is playing the famous Queen set for Live Aid. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. And um, anyway, you know, that's just one little silly moment there. And then so uh, a week later, I was in Geneva and we see Forrest in Geneva. And he's um he's he's see Forrest in I put, see Forrest in Geneva with a big flappy hat, you know, one of those ones with the flaps. <laughs> I don't know what they're called, but um and uh, and he's going, I was starting to learn what the Cold War was all about, you know, and it was very cold or whatever. And he's he's with the table tennis delegation and they're asking to have pictures signed of him and, and he's playing a bit of ping pong and the mole is there too. He approaches Forrest and asks him to meet him in the restroom. Forrest then a little bit, you know, 10 seconds later, follows him out. There's a big long corridor in this place, lots of oak panel doors. He opens the wrong door. There's Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev <laughs> in that door chatting. And um, in 1985, it was their first meeting in Geneva, apparently. Oh, nice. The process of the Cold War ending. And, um, and, and as he opens the door, you know, Gorbachev is yelling at Reagan with a, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I'm not going to do a Russian accent. And, um, and Forrest gives it, excuse me, gentlemen, I'm trying to find the restroom. And Reagan's like, you must be Mr. Gump for that. Because, uh, and Forrest is like, yeah, I, I can't shake your hands, sir. Um, I heard this arm playing the drums in London the other day. And uh, Reagan's like, that arm? And uh, points to the wrong arm and wrote, and um, Forrest is like, no, this arm. And they have a little exchange because from this arm to this arm, this arm, like that. And Gorbachev is like, this arm. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> so that's what they're going to do. They're going to disarm. That's so Forrest brilliant. basically brings the whole Cold War to the close. Um, anyway, um, and, and then we hear Forrest's voice. It comes back on. And the only other time I went to Europe was for four years later. But that wasn't as a spy. They wanted my help with a wall in Germany, but it was already broken by the time I got there, you know, and then we just see him, you know, perhaps collecting a brick as a doorstop or something from Berlin. Um, anyway, you know, back to the cafe and um, I have a little exchange. This is going to pick up a bit of pace. Jeff. There's only one other bit I've gone really into detail now. But back I'm in the cafe it. between... Um, uh, uh, Wilson and Hanks, Jr. and Forrest Gump. And, um, and he's like, you know, did you and... Miss Daniels ever, you know, that. And then we see a country fate in Arkansas. 
And um, Miss Daniels has been very flirty with Forrest as well. By sheer luck, Sheppy, they said it in Arkansas, where a young senator uh, was governor, sorry, one young governor by the name of William Jefferson Clinton um, won his seat in Arkansas. So Bill Clinton is at the country fate as well at the same time. And, um, and, and, and basically it's been really, I, I haven't got anything more there. I, I, I spent ages trying to think of a cigar gag or something in Forrest. You know, I couldn't <laughs> think of anything clever enough. So um, anyway, he's just being flirty and inappropriate with Miss Daniels, but Miss Daniels is like, you know, still loving a bit of Forrest, you know, so that's that. So um, anyway, um, of course, this is kind of part of the voice. So of course that was when Lieutenant Dan came to visit and I think everything changed like that. So Lieutenant Dan is over with his wife and his kids and having some beers in the farm and all this sort of stuff. And Lieutenant Dan asks Forrest Gump, you know, over the beers, if he's sure Forrest Gump Jr. is his, you know, I mean, you know, Jenny and the lifestyle she had Forrest and all this sort of stuff, you know, and Forrest Gump Jr. overhears this conversation. And, um, and then Forrest Gump, over the course of Lieutenant Dan staying, despite his um, immobility, let's say, you know, he's still being, more interactive, more connected with his kids than Forrest Gump is able to be as a dad, you know. And Forrest got that that little bit of embarrassment of his own dad is creeping into Forrest Gump Jr. And they have a big fight. Forrest Gump Jr. is dead after Lieutenant Dan's gone. And it's actually quite a serious, awkward, nasty moment where Forrest Gump Jr. says some things that can't be taken back. You know, it's a bit nasty and tough, proper teenage trickiness, you know. Back to Hanks and Wilson as grown-ups now, uh, Junior and Forrest Gump. And, you know, they're now, they've moved on from the cafe. They're walking along, um, you know, New York, and we see the backdrop. The two towers are there, you know, 2000, early 2000s, uh, 2001. And, um, and Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks says, you know, I think you still did the right thing like that. And so basically we then go back in time and we see Luke will... Um, that uh, Forrest Gump Jr. get a get a DNA test, and it turns out he isn't Hanks's son. Um, and there is a match for a guy who is on the books. That's how they got the match as a felon in Los Angeles. This is going to be Hayden Church as Jake Bowden. So, so Hanks drives his son cross country to LA. He's he's with Forrest Gump Jr. Um, and they, they are due to meet with this guy Jake Bowden that day. But before they meet. Forrest decides to take care of a bit of business with that fruit company he invested in and goes to meet with Steve Jobs in LA. And um, the reception of Apple is being painted and, um, and Forrest Gump, while he's waiting for Steve to see him, accidentally leans on a wall in the reception that's got a bit of black paint on it. So it's kind of his, his left arm all down one side has got black paint on it, which is a bit embarrassing. And, and Forrest Gump Jr. is like, you're so embarrassing, Dad, I'm going to go and wait downstairs. So Forrest Gump Jr. in another teenage um, fit, waiting to see his real pops, goes downstairs to wait for his dad. Steve Jobs greets Forrest, he's really happy to see him. Forrest Gump explains that he and his son were juggling on the way over to, to struggling to juggle all the, the cassette tapes they had in their car, you know, and uh, so of course that starts a little kernel of an idea for Mr. Jobs. Um, and then um, and then Forrest, uh, you know, has the meeting with, with Steve Jobs, whatever. He leaves the meeting, looks out, he can see from, from the window of the reception, sees his son on the street below uh, and, um, and, and can just see that his, you know, the, the, the fracture is kind of in Tom Hanks's eyes, you know, good acting with the eyes, Hanks is capable. And, um, and, and in the reception area, in a sort of a little, 
you know, mini, I guess, uh, pod area. Um, there's a crack team of Apple pods trying to work out what to call a new device. They have on their wall um, written pod and they're just all scratching their chins thinking, what are we going to call this thing? What are we going to call this thing? Forrest Gump continues to look out at his son, has a flashback of them playing together at the farm, you know, like peas and carrots, father and son, in pure frustration, smacks the wall with his arm and fist, leaving an eye next to the pod and then leaves the room. Um, <laughs> Hayden Church, we then uh, realised very quickly, and I've just glossed over this, but of course it would be deeper in the movie, is an asshole, wants nothing to do with his son, Forrest Gump Jr., which effectively pops Forrest Gump Jr. out, you know, just doesn't, he doesn't know where he's, he's meant to be and all this sort of stuff. Um, while Hayden Church is being an asshole, um, there's one other silly little nod, maybe, which will probably get edited immediately, Sheppy, where Forrest Gump is taking a walk through LA while Forrest Gump Jr. is meeting with his uh, estranged father. And, um, and he bumps into a man who's in his car um, looking at a blonde lady canoodling in the driveway with another fella. And, um, and he taps on the window. And I haven't quite got this landed, but, um, but he, it's a very cold night. And he says, you wouldn't happen to have a spare pair of gloves, would you, sir? And of course, OJ Simpson replies, no, no, I don't have any, no. Um, anyway. <laughs> Um, and then um, we uh, and then of course you know we come back to the future and we see Forrest Gump Senior with Junior and, um, and, and Junior Luke Wilson says and you moved up here when I went to college like that and Forrest Gump says I wanted to keep an eye on you as well um, help where when, when I could you know and then we see you know Forrest Gump um, Junior goes into college goes into New York I've totally underwritten this here, Sheps, but I think there's something now around Forrest Gump just from a distance looking after Forrest Gump Jr. and doing lots of clever little things, you know, almost Amelie style, little hidden secret bits and bobs he's arranged for his son, culminating in, you know, of course, um, Forrest Gump Jr. moving to New York and, and Hanks being up there and taking this job as a, as a, as a fire. Uh, fighter, you know, so we get a whole chapter where Forrest enlists in the fire department under William Defoe, Captain Smith, and he loves the discipline of it, loves the drills of being a firefighter. Um, a lot here unwritten, but let's assume that Defoe becomes a surrogate, Lieutenant Dan in the third act, and the two of them are friends, Forrest and him. And of course, he's doing all these little bits and bobs to support his son um, from afar while he's in New York. And then here we go. This is now our ramp up to the end, Sheppy. Basically, Forrest uh, says to, we, we, we have this moment now between um, Luke Wilson and Tom Hanks, between senior and junior, where Forrest says, you know, she didn't love me. So she didn't love me, not like I loved her, but she kept coming back because she knew she would always be welcome. And he asks um, Junior, but you, your kids are okay? Uh, and Junior says, you know, yeah, yeah, they're, 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 they're fine, they're fine, you know, and he goes, and then Hanks again, like, this is this is basically where Hanks is on for his second Oscar if he wants it, you know, yeah. he's trying to deliver it, and he gives it similar to the echoes of the first one, he says, I know I'm a simple man, Forrest, I never thought you were my son, but I thought I would raise you, and they leave it there, Wilson leaves Hanks and leaves New York, and goes back on the train. So, you know, Hanks has actually stayed on in New York beyond um, Wilson living there. And 
And that's why he's asking me, going to come home at Christmas and all this sort of stuff. Um, and then we get Wilson's voiceover. Um, and, and he basically says, I don't know how, but I knew somehow that would be the last time I saw Forrest Gump. And within a month, things would never be the same. And then we just hear like a bit of a Zemeckis jump cut thing. We just hear the explosion of the jet as it hits one of the towers, uh, the, the Twin Towers. And then this is sort of um, still Wilson's voiceover. You know, my grandmother used to say that you have to do the best with what God gave you. And my father could run. And we see Forrest running into the building, carrying a lady into the street to a nearby ambulance, runs back into one of the towers, picks up another man who's totally you know, covered in dust, runs back in again. We hear a massive clank. William Defoe, our Captain Smith, is at the top of the stairwell and screams, run, Forrest, run! Like, you know, but, you know, really, absolutely a blood curdler, you know, rather than the, the cheesy Jenny one from the first one. Then Defoe is immediately lost in the stairwell. And before he can get out of the building, so too is Forrest. In a sort of, I'm sort of imagining a bit of a Blackadder goes forth moment here, Sheppy, you know, where it's just a bit of silence. And then he says, um, we get Wilson's voice over again. When I think about them now, about Forrest and Jenny, I think about friendship. My father would say that death is a part of life, but I wish I was, it wasn't. But without death, how would we appreciate life? How would we appreciate the friends we carry over the decades? And Wilson is standing under the tree with Forrest. And then we just see Wilson standing under the tree with Forrest and Jenny's graves. So he's put these buried forests, well, you know, I guess whatever they salvaged a forest is buried underneath the tree um, next to Jenny. This is a, um, a slightly older Wilson, you know, they've aged him a little bit. Um, and then uh, we actually know, <laughs> I put here, we never get him, Shep. <laughs> uh, but we, we've got basically Will Smith coming in to replace his son who played the, the, the young, uh, young kid. Right. Um, and, um, and he greets Forrest Gump Jr. with their adopted kids and um and and that's just a, ultimately you know that, that that's the nucleus that's the family um, there um and there the, the camera cranes up and um, we see the same tree as the beginning um with the the feather and um and that's where the feather landed at the beginning of the credits and it gets blown and then you know escapes out again and then we're away again so wow <laughs> what a gut punch Huge. I just saw my hair. It must have been playing around with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, shit. absolutely devastating. Uh, wow. Yeah. Very unexpected. Like, in terms of addressing the whole September 11th thing, you know, I was expecting it to be addressed like Vietnam. It was like a chapter and then the reaction. But for that to be the, the end of Forest, that's, that's huge. Uh, very weather, Because in the end, I mean, I don't know, history will do the telling for a Sheppy, but, you know, America probably, that's a key, obviously, a key milestone in the history, but it was never the same again sort of thing. And I think Forrest Gump, although we can transcend stuff like that, he represents a specific type of America that just isn't there anymore, doesn't he? So I feel like there's a chance for a double meaning on that and things would never be the same. It was, you know, it's kind of yeah. for Forrest Gump Jr. and for America, if you know what I mean. You could play on that a little bit, which is what I'm saying. I lean into it, but yeah, yeah, right. Well, brilliant. I mean, the whole thing, um, great, really, really good. Love it. I love the whole war angle, the spy, 
as well. There's some fun to be had there. <laughs> you can I, really see that as well, like Forrest being recruited into 80s Cold War. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Uh, I can see that really clearly. And you're right. And all of the little historical beats you, uh, you've got in there uh, are all brilliant as well. Like, I love it. Oh, I um, and I've, I've, I've really debated, like, could we do something with the Gulf War and Forrest Gump Jr. following his dad and all that? And I said, no, I don't know. Like, you know, and I really wanted to tackle that, you know, Jenny saw an opportunity for her son. Like, you know, she, she loved Forrest. That was home for her. That's fine. You know, in a platonic way, let's be honest, and named her son after him, I guess, is a sort of a thing. But I don't think she knew who the dad was. I'm not sure they ever slept together, really. You know what I mean? It's a bit, anyway. Well, well, very good. Lovely, Jimmy. Yeah, really. Thanks, really Oh, let's hear your pitch, young man. I'm very excited. Uh, all right. Um, so so here's, here's mine. There were, there were a few different options I thought of, like you know, potential ways to go with this. Um, the way I did is, uh, is it's kind of crazy, so I'm just going to say that up front. Um, but all right, I'll just I'll just jump in now. I haven't spent the, the 45 minutes coming up with any cast for this. Uh, it could be it could be anyone. <laughs> so so forget about all of that. It is Hanks, uh, and it's Zemeckis directing. Um, there are no returning other people. Oh, it's worth mentioning, of course which we didn't really touch on, that his son in the original, of course, is Haley Joel Osment, uh, yeah. which, is, which is nice. But he, he, he's not in it either, so forget that. <laughs> um, it's pure Hanks. Everything else is up for debate. We'll let the lawyers sort that out. Um, I've got 1998. Um, it could be, yeah, it could be six, seven, or eight, but I don't want it any later than 98, really. Or mainly because I want, him to look like Forrest um, and you know you could do it even like 2022 but I just want Hanks to look like Forrest from the original basically. You mean before he does a Richard gear and changes completely from what he looked like in the 90s? Right exactly you don't <laughs> want him to do any sort of gear don't change gear stay gear so right <laughs> so take that um, so let's just say for argument that it's 98. Um, and the title I've gone for is Old Man Gump. Uh, which is funny because I just said I wanted him the same age. But yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll just jump straight in then. Uh, old Man Gump. We open in an old people's home. Lots of old folk sitting in a nice looking, very spacious lounge, white walls, always activity, people coming and going, playing board games and murmured conversations between residents and visitors, that sort of thing. You know, but it's sedate. It's, you know, it's not manic. Um, as the opening titles play and, you know, Sylvester does his whimsy, da 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 da, pure gump. Uh, we move through the room, seeing various old folk and stuff. I see it as one, one long cut. Um, some, some of the old folk we see in more detail than others. Some are sort of obscured. 
uh, as we, uh, we, we close, um, as the titles finish, uh, we find Forrest, who is very old. It's Hanks in a lot of good makeup, um, sitting on a little sofa, staring into space in that quiet way he has. A nurse who I've called here, and it's like a nickname for this character that people, maybe Forrest calls her, uh, is Nurse Jitters. Uh, maybe because she's always like a little bit highly strung, although I haven't written her that way. I just called her <laughs> Nurse Jitters. Anyway, she approaches, um, and you know, like in Tom and Jerry or Peanuts or the nanny, just nanny in Muppet Babies, whenever the nurse pops up um, throughout the film, we never really get a good look at her face, but we're doing that classic thing where we just see like her stockinged legs and white coat and maybe the severe bun, that sort of thing. But she approaches old man Forrest and she says, Forrest, uh, breaking him out of his contemplations. And she reminds him about his appointment at 12 o'clock. And Forrest smiles and says, yes, ma'am, 12 o'clock, high noon, the time of day when the sun is straight up. And the nurse gives a little laugh and leaves him to it. Uh, various folk come and sit next to him uh, on the couch or nearby on one of the various seats. As in the original, then, we cut throughout the film, we cut back to Forrest as he's telling his story um, to, and, you know, to various people who are sitting in the area. Some of the people who are listening to the story are other old folk. Some might be nurses or orderlies, like a janitor or something as well, or a young man visiting his great-grandparents or some such. But right now at the beginning, the conversation is kicked off when someone half says to himself, half to whoever, is close enough to hear of how these days there's no imagination left in the world. And the man or whoever says like, I swear the whole universe is devoid of original thought. And Forrest pipes up uh, and says, my mama used to say, imagination is only as good as those fit to listen. My journey, it's nothing but imagination. And he tells his story and we flash back uh, to a few years after the events of the first film, and we find Forrest alone in his large house, his son now away at college. Uh, Forrest has become a spokesperson for the next gen of tech, big companies and so forth, due to his majority stock in Apple. Uh, he's been invited to a huge think tank presentation for the newest cutting edge technology. Uh, Forrest in voiceover says, well, like I told them, I don't know much about that, any of that kind of thing, but it felt like a good idea to get out of the house. Besides, if there's one thing I've learned, it's never say no to a free buffet. And maybe he says a free buffet, possibly. Anyway, we cut and we see Forrest wearing a VIP badge and he's mingling in this very nice sort of plush looking, you know, center um, and, you know, like a convention center or some such. And he is indeed at the buffet eating like nice looking crab cakes and drinking Dr. Pepper. I told you. And, in, <laughs> and in voiceover, it's like everything was there. Rockets for the moon, lasers for the aliens on the moon, microwave jammers, micro gizmos, gadgets, trinkets, and those things mama would call a great idea at three o'clock in the morning when all your brain craves is the first bird song. Being guest of honor, I was shown all over the place. 
I'm an astronaut, science guys and ladies, people with brains so big, mama would say they needed an extra hedge just to carry it all around him. And we see Forrest meeting these people. He clearly has no idea who they are. And very similar to yours, this is really the only crossover point you and I have in this case, Jimmy, but he meets Steve Jobs. <laughs> um, and 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 he um, also, I see him for some reason shaking like a robotic arm, you know, like a sort of a Mars probe type thing um, and you know, doing it very earnestly and then being handed like a bulky, very early laptop. And he's trying to like, you know, push the screen and is told to use the buttons on the keyboard. And Forrest mentions something about it being easier if you could, you know, just touch screen. And everyone around suddenly goes, ooh, ooh, ooh. Amazing. So, <laughs> so uh, Forrest in voiceover says, after all those blinking lights and flashing beams, I was getting a little sore behind the eyes. So I took myself off to a dark little room, a cupboard or so I thought, just for a moment of peace and quiet away from all of the hubbub. I found a little bed, and so I lay down and closed my eyes just for a minute or so I thought, and we see as all of this is happening, we hear the voiceover, we see um, as you know, it's described, Forrest gets into the room using his VIP card, which you know, he swipes and opens the door and he steps into inside the little dark room and there are some like machines, but all are fairly dormant and he hangs his jacket up on a hat stand and lies down he, you know, on this sort of narrow trolley, a bit like a hospital gurney and Forrest closes his eyes and sighs and he drifts off to sleep immediately and then we move in on his hanging jacket and it's top heavy on the stand and slowly pulls the hat stand over so it tips and falls onto the computer panel of some sort of thing and the top of the hat stand hits a button and the panel comes to life and lights start to blink and flash and a countdown sequence uh, seems to have been initiated and Forrest continues to sleep as a plexiglass cover slowly and automatically descends on him, sealing him inside his little bed. And uh, the voiceover says, Now, I've been known to sleep. My mama used to say, given half a chance and some thick drapes, I could sleep through the end of all days and still sleep through until uh, the breakfast after that. Well, that day, I missed more than just breakfast. And we have a close-up on Forrest's eyes and his face as he sleeps and the lights come on and we hear the noise of the cover raising up like, mm, and slowly we pull back and Forrest opens his eyes sort of blinking and he comes to and he's very groggy and he looks about proper half asleep and we see sort of his point of view and several doctors in white coats are standing over him in rapt attention and Forrest says oh I'm sorry I guess I was pretty tired did I miss the party? And he sits up pure groggy and they ask him a few questions about how he feels and so on. And he's helped you know, to his feet a little shakily. And in voiceover, Forrest Gump says, the room looked different with the lights on, bigger and with a huge window looking outside. Now this building I went to for this presentation, well, it was in the city of San Francisco near this valley that I heard was meant to be made of plastic or some such, near some lovely forests. But when I looked out of that window, well, you can be sure the last thing I saw was trees. And Forrest walks over to this huge window and he looks out and we pull back 
pure Zemeckis CGI pullback from his amazed face right back. And we reveal the window he's looking out from is attached to a huge skyscraper of an unlikely design. And we pull back further and further and we see uh, a city of curved metal and tubular glass with shapes and monorails and blimps. And we see Forrest, yeah, yeah. We see Forrest stare and we see then from his point of view, more wondrous sights. We see magnetic cars hovering over chrome freeways. We see a park where the trees appear to be floating behind some sort of protective force shields. Massive holograms sell coke. During this, we faintly hear a doctor standing behind a gawping forest saying, at the time, no one knew how to revive you whether without risking brain death or worse. So you were left until they could figure it out. But then the great quake came and the whole building and much more besides was thought to be lost. Everything was either buried or destroyed. The compound containing the room with your pod was only unearthed during the excavation for the construction to begin on the new coastal front. And that's when we found you. Fortunately, technology has moved on enough that waking you wasn't too tricky. The only concern was no one has ever been in hypersleep for quite as long as you before, Mr. Gump. And Forrest in voiceover said, and they were not wrong. They told me it was the year 2099, that's 2099. And the world was a much different place than I remembered it. And instantly, Jimmy, I'm just going to jump in and say <laughs> so I had to do that. There's no historical research needed then. Therefore, obviously, for, for, for this, for me, uh, that's my get out of jail free card. So let me just. Absolutely <laughs> stunning. It's a stunning setup. I mean, even just like just before we lose it, like just to, even if we took it a peg or two, I think it's an idea that would get traction with the Zemeckis just to have him sleep through, even just a, a, a kind of a trip to space and back or something from that expo. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that he crashes in the sea and they rescue him or something. Like, you know, just as a thing. It's a bloody genius idea, should be. So, uh, yeah, amazing. I'm fucking um, in. I'm in. I can't <laughs> wait to see what happens. Okay. So, uh, so we see, for, thank you. We see Forrest being shown all sorts of technology as well as like a robot chicken type thing, the size of a dog laying an Easter egg sized egg right in front of Forrest. He's prompted to tap the top with a spoon like it were a hard boiled egg, which he does. And the egg immediately hatches into a goose thing, which hoots once and promptly runs off. Forrest is nonplussed. Uh, we cut back to the old people's home and the lady next to him on the sofa says, 2099, well, talk about imagination. Forrest says, mama always said the future and the past are the same, depending on which direction you're looking. And the woman says, well, she sure sounds like a wise woman. And old Forrest says, ain't no one smarter than mama. She saw the world how it should be seen. Every view was like from a postcard. And he continues the story. We learn of Forrest's son, and we have a sad moment when Forrest realizes he's long gone, and a friendly female doctor holds Forrest as he cries. Uh, he has shown, they've done research, and they've shown his life, his son's life on hollow screen, and he did well. We see Haley Joel Osment graduating, getting his first job, a wedding photo, and much more into old age with grandkids and great grandkids all around him. 
Forest voiceover says, now I've been alone a lot in my life, but I can tell you, I never felt more lonely than I did right then. Forrest wants to track down his descendants, but in the inst those in the Institute aren't so keen on him interacting with people in this world. So Forrest escapes with the help of the kindly doctor. Uh, the Institute sends some sort of shady men in black types to track him down and return him. So Forrest has a little adventure traveling across country, this new America, uh, he meets a salesman on the road who has an idea for mirrors, which actually reflect exact duplicates, not your mirrored reflection, but like more like a photographic image back. And he says, you know, he has the technology, but no one's interested. And the salesman says to Forrest, you know, like, if it ain't broke, they say. And Forrest says, well, sometimes something which ain't broke still needs fixing. And the guy takes this to heart. And later, uh, we find that the pitch worked. And this slogan, uh, you know, sometimes something which ain't broke still needs fixing, has become massive. And the duplicate mirrors have all become a massive hit. And the, uh, the slogan is utterly iconic. And that's just a little. And I could, I could totally cheat and just come up with stuff. So there's loads of stuff that I haven't thought of. But that's like an example of stuff that he's influenced, you know. Um, after some minor adventures getting across the country and accidentally avoiding the men in black types a few times, Forrest meets his long lost descendants. Uh, they are gracious and friendly and are well aware of the name of Forrest Gump. Uh, but before too long, the men in black types arrive and they take Forrest away back to the Institute. Forrest in voiceover says, now them folks at this Institute were friendly and all, but they said this world just wasn't ready for a man from the past. It would cause too much of a stir if the world knew about me, they said. And I guess after the last time, they didn't think I'd sit still. <laughs> they were probably right. So in I went for a lover nap, just until they could figure out what to do with me, they said. And we see the female doctor emotionally hug Forrest, and he lies back down on another more modern kind of cryo freeze pod and Forrest is refrozen and he is reawoken. The lights come on again and we have a kind of a duplicate shot and he looks up at unsmiling cold faces and we learn it is at least another 100 years later, Jimmy. Maybe even 150. And this is when we discover that the mirror thing has become huge with this slogan and all of that. Um, so, this new world is mirror thing work. I love it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to say about the mirror thing. I am totally stealing that from um, the last Fletch book, where someone actually does invent this mirror thing. Um, so I'm I'm totally nice. stealing it um, from from this book. Uh, so this new world is all about white marble and justice. Huge marble statues of like you know, blind justice tower over gleaming cityscapes. Forrest has been woken to stand trial for his crimes of inactivity. He hasn't contributed to society, so he must pay the price. Forrest says, but I was asleep. And they reply that laziness is no excuse. Uh, so we get into the hypocrisy of government and the loopholes inherent in the justice system, prejudice against the poor and benefits for the rich being, uh, you know, uh, there's a slogan, guilt first, crime later 
which is all over the place and it's this very totalitarian, it's very Kafkaesque. Um, so in the end, Forrest says uh, a big speech, uh, which is transmitted around the world, where he says, uh, justice is about bad people stopping being bad. And he's asked, how do you stop the bad people, Mr. Gump? And Forrest says, yeah, you just, just all, you all be good. And uh, he's found innocent and becomes something of a new figurehead for new justice. The punishment was always to be refrozen. And he's asked now what he wants to do with his freedom. And Forrest says he wants to be refrozen. So he is. Um, and now we go back to the old people's home where he's gathering a bit of a crowd of listeners and everyone's loving it. And someone says, so what is it now, Forrest? Another hundred years or 5,000? And there's some laughter. And Nurse Jitters comes by and she says, you telling tall tales again, Forrest? And Forrest says, well, yes, ma'am, maybe just a little. And the nurse says, well, I guess it's okay. Just don't wear yourself out. And Forrest is like, yes, ma'am. And we find out it's another 150 years later and Forrest is woken again, this time by an ambitious politician who wants to use Forrest as a figurehead and mascot. Forrest, we learn, reshaped the old Earth's entire society. After the legal system collapsed, everything changed. Instead of focusing Earth's resources inward, the new sense of justice and just being good, y'all, is directed outward into space. So Forrest is woken up, and again, we have the same sort of shot. And again, he goes to the window in a scene that mirrors the previous moments. And now outside the window isn't a city, it's Saturn. And he is on a station orbiting one of Saturn's moons. And Forrest and the politician embark on a goodwill tour of the immediate galaxy or solar system and space stations and so forth a little bit deeper out. The politician, of course, is very self-serving and vacuous, but on this tour, Forrest meets uh, celebrities or future, future celebrities, a future John Lennon, a future Marilyn Monroe, I've written. And again, uh, he spreads the Gump message just by being himself. His innocent and simplistic words and actions are interpreted in many ways. Uh, also, after a hyperspace reactor meltdown or some such uh, on one of the very outbound colonies quite far out, uh, Forrest saves a lot of people on this pioneering colony uh, on a moon or something by being in the right place at the right time. And while everyone else is panicking, Forrest, you know, just stays calm and he pulls this massive obvious lever which stops the reactor from destroying the planet. This actually upsets the politician who was revealed to be a coward and he totally cracked under pressure, jumped into like an escape pod and was like, it's every man for himself. That's where you know, like threw an old lady out the way, that sort of thing. So he's, his career is over. The colony uh, is later revealed to have become like the cornerstone for future humanity. Forrest is therefore known historically as like one of the, the founding fathers of the new future. Uh, without this colony, uh, mankind would never have left our immediate solar system. Um, Forrest is asked what the ward he'd like, and he says, if it's okay with y'all, I just want to go home. So he goes back to sleep for his trip back to Earth. He is uh, woken, however, prematurely, 60 years later, by radicals who have hijacked his ship, hijacked his pod, woken him up, and what kind of like, let's say, you know, this kind of polit political, you know, radicals, that sort of thing, who want to use his message to topple the governing body to bring it all down. 
and Forrest rides with them for a while. Um, and at a certain point, he actually stops the assassination of the Earth's president, um, which is good stuff. And then still off world, he leaves the group um, joined by this young idealist uh, lady whose head he's turned and she leaves the group with him and they have a semi-romance and they have a very tender moment in Zero Gravity where they, they have sex, but we don't see it. It's done very tastefully. Um, Gump is refreezed and when he awakens, he meets her again. This time now she's a very old lady and she and he together have a great granddaughter who is now a young woman. But she is this great granddaughter, it's very cynical. And he, of course, teaches her how to be a good person, to be less cynical. And we find out that she becomes the future captain of the Space Ranger army that actually stops an attack on our galaxy from some hostile alien force, saving humanity. And of course, if, if it wasn't for Forrest, she would never have existed. She and the rest of the human race know that they owe it all to Forrest. Uh, he sees his just be good slogan has become the cornerstone for all these new societies on the outer rim of the solar system, not just for human, humans, but for other races as well. He refreezes, voiceover, by now it was just becoming a habit. He is next awoken to find uh, society has become a seeming utopia, um, but corrupted by hypocrisy, um, people helping themselves, but not the in indigenous races on the planets that they govern. Uh, Gump becomes seen as something of a rebel leader for the lizard people, a sort of a Che Guevara type figurehead for the repressed. And he is adopted by the lizard race, becomes their leader and brokers peace between them and humanity, as well as other alien species who are always at odds. Forest ends a decades, maybe centuries old war between the lizards and the antennae people. Forest voiceover, time was, I was lonely as I could be. Now I had whole races wanting to meet me and shake my hand or whatever they could muster. And we see all sorts of weird aliens meeting the dignitary gump. One race is a gelatinous jelly-like lump, which can't shake hands, but envelops Forrest's outstretched arm and he pulls his arm out good-naturedly and it's all like dripping with goo and everyone like claps and Forrest waves to the masses who <laughs> cheer while accidentally spraying jelly innards all over the fellow dignitary standing next to him on the platform. Mm -hmm. uh, Gump is refrozen and he awakes again and he is told he is now through a, a crisis in the government, he has to now be the president of the galaxy. Uh, it's due to all sorts of reasons, including a loophole in that he saved the president's life generations ago and there's also an intergalactic gump day um, so but he's been awoken to to be a pawn uh, he's too cool for that and he makes the galaxy a better place he steps down as president of the galaxy and is asked if he wants to be refrozen again we cut back to the old people's home and uh, his rapt listeners uh, ask if he was indeed refrozen and Forrest says Sometimes lying down and doing nothing could be a good thing, but sometimes you just want to stretch your legs. And a good-natured listener says, so what happened next? More space travel and aliens? And Nurse Jitters comes back and interrupts, saying it's time for his appointment. Uh, it's 12 o'clock. Forrest, let's go. 
and she admonishes um, him for telling these tales to folk whose minds aren't what they were. And, and uh, Forrest says, you know, he just wanted to make them happy. So old Forrest slowly gets up and is led with Nurse Jitters uh, down a long corridor to a room where uh, waiting for him is a small group uh, of people gathered. And Forrest is like, 12 o'clock already. And the nurse says, high noon. And Forrest, when the sun's straight up and the roof of the uh, room they're in cracks open, uh, kind of like in Superman and Krypton, and we reveal above them is a wondrous starscape above. The galaxy unfolds. We see nebula, gases, uh, the Earth's sun directly above them, swollen, a red giant right above their heads. And the gathered group step forward and we see some are human, others are not. The walls shimmer around them and are replaced by a quote unquote real time hollow field. Uh, we are, we discover at a ceremony for the space war that Forrest averted. Uh, the descendants of the lizard people are there as well as hundreds of thousands more watching live via holograms and transporters and more besides as Forrest is projected to a million points on a thousand planets and they all applaud President Gump. Uh, nations, uh, species, races, uh, through view screens and projectors, technology 10,000 years ahead of us, we see the multitudes who have gathered to pay tribute and respect to the greatest president this galaxy has ever known, an inspiration for trillions all across the stars and forest waves and is given a futuristic bottle of Dr. Pepper. And he is polite and friendly. And after a time, he turns to the nurse jitters who we now see her face properly. And we see she has slightly scaly skin and large black and gold eyes, which blink horizontally. And she's a clear descendant of lizard and human partnership many generations ago. And Forrest, uh, he asks her quietly, Nurse Jitters, this is lovely and all, but when's nap time? Being awake sure is tiring work. And the nurse smiles warmly and she leads him down the corridor back to his bed. And it's the end. Jesus Christ, Shepard. <laughs> Give me some taglines before my brain yeah. melts. Now, they're not great, but the first one is just simply look to the future. Another one, a story too large for one planet, a heart too big for one galaxy. And the last one is life is like a thousand stars. When you ignore the dark, all you see is light. <laughs> I debated at one point, Sheppy, going down a President Gump route. Nice. I thought it would be interesting. And then I'm so bloody glad I didn't because you, you <laughs> so you took one of the amazing threads of that original movie of like, you know, spreading the gump word, as you put it, and, you know, him, him becoming quite evangelical in lots of spots in that first movie, like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, even once know where the decision to start was made, like, yeah, this is just, may as well push this to the absolute limit. It's yeah. amazing. And, and, and the genius, what you've caught is both, I think you've got his Argo and his cadence perfect, but also just his indifference and apathy towards things that people, the attention people crave, you know? So in anyone else's hands, all the stuff he gets recognition for would just, 
send them mad, you know, with their egos would go through the roof. But because it's Forrest Gump and he doesn't operate that way and wherever he is on the spectrum means that he's just sort of, he's zen all the time on everything. Like it's quite, it's quite extraordinary how you got with that. <laughs> I mean, I fully expected them to reverse the time travel and like, you know, but that's amazing. That's amazing. Or not even the time travel, it's more the the freezing and be able to send him back. But anyway, amazing. Amazing. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, after what actually you you first gave me this idea of when you when you set this, you said something about you could do like his um his ancestors or do like, you know, in the olden days. And I thought, yes, that could happen. And, I, and that sort of made me think in like like Blackadder, in a sense, you could have different generations of Gump, obviously all played by Hanks throughout the histories, you know, throughout the decades and centuries. And it's and they're with a sort of a connective tissue. So it wasn't just standalone stuff, but there was something that linked it. Um, and for like half a split second, I thought of that. Um, but then I thought, mm, let's go the other way. Because for one thing also, I wanted it to be Forrest and not just someone who might as well be Forrest and you know, just have it as yeah. proper Forrest. So, so yeah, yeah. So, so thanks, Jimmy. Yes, that was, it turned out to be a, a real pleasure to write. Oh, well, pleasure to hear, Sheppy, as well. <laughs> before, before we get to your next pitch, uh, for your, your tea up, I just wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it, and I don't want this to get overhyped. So one of the reasons Kate Blanchett got cast in my uh, pitch was that you, there, there was a little anecdote to give you around meeting her. Or not just, I say meeting her, I didn't meet her. I served her in Tesco's, Sheppy, on a checkout Amazing. in Tesco's. That counts. Back. That's meeting. That's meeting. <laughs> That's meeting. I'm sure there were That's meeting people. her more than I met Roger Moore, because I was in the same room as Roger Moore. I didn't meet him. I listened to him. But serving someone at Tesco's, that's a bond that will never be broken. Now, this was around the time of Elizabeth, and I think she must have been in town filming Elizabeth. I didn't... She was a luminescent, Sheppard. She was beautiful. And I thought that as I served her, I thought there's something different about her. Served her. I think she bought some chicken or something. I think she was going to a dinner party. I think it was chicken and a bottle of wine or something. She must have been taking it around to someone's for dinner or something. And then my friend Laura, after she'd left the building, came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, that was Kate Bloody Blanchett. And I was like, oh, nice. So I was, it was totally lost on me. So that's it. That's the anecdote. It's as simple that's as that. Great. But, um, but yeah, then it was Twickenham One step Tesco's away from Hammer Support. One step away from Daniel Craig. One step away from a lot of people. Yeah. I've just seen her in Nightmare Alley, by the way. That's, that's uh, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a thing, Sheppy. Ooh, I think nice. it's right. I think Nightmare Alley is right up Sheppy's alley. I think you're, <laughs> but I, it's, it's very tricky to say that stuff. So assume three stars and you'll be very okay. pleasantly surprised, I think. But, well, um, nice. Yeah. Thanks for the hot tip. Uh, <laughs> love it. Love it. Um, um, good. Well, but yeah, well, I love the Kate Blanchett. Um, yeah, or carte blanche, as I like to call her. <laughs> uh, let me say this. Did she give you the freedom to say that whenever you want? Yes. Yes, she did. And uh, no, I don't get the reference. <laughs> right, good stuff. Right, what are we going to do um, next? All right, well, look, I had two options, and I'm very pleased to say both of the options are not 80s, which is uh, a nice twist. 
I'm going to go for the most weird one, um, just because I've been, we talked, well, I mentioned Flight of the Navigator earlier as possibly scraping the bottom of a barrel. Well, Jimmy, uh, this isn't scraping any barrel. This is going straight through the bottom of the barrel, digging a bit of a hole underneath it and then filling it with some sort of sticky liquid. Um, this is this is an all-time low. It's, it's a weird one, Jimmy. I don't even know if you've seen this film. Random doesn't even come into it, but I'm going to set it anyway because that's the way I roll, motherfucker. Um, the film, Jimmy, is from 1978. It's a live-action Walt Disney film. And the film, Jimmy, is The Cat from Outer Space. And I want The Cat from Outer Space 2, and I want it here, and I want it now. Uh, I'm, I'm all for it, Jimmy. Uh, I have ever heard. Oh, well, there you go. You're in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The Cat from Outer Space, I will say um, it's a childhood film. It's one that I say childhood film, though. I've got it on DVD somewhere in the world, like around 2004 or something. I got it on DVD and I saw it again about, I don't know, less than a month ago. And I was like, this. I will also say it's been on the back of my mind as like, well, I could see a sequel to that. Uh, so, yeah, the time has come. Jimmy. Oh, the my time God. Come. Well, so, yes, look. Please. Obviously, we'll have to watch it, and uh, yes, all over. Okay, uh, it, it's, I'll check with it's on Disney Plus as well, Sheppy. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Lovely. Yes. Well, yeah. um, that that, but, that that'll be something. <laughs> I can't that will even be something because I'm not even seeing it. That so we're just. Will uh... be yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't even say you're you're in for a treat. Actually, uh, you, you might not be at all. It's. <laughs> perfectly possible to see it without any even hint of nostalgia might be a horrendous experience so i can't wait to hear all about it jimmy this is what i live for this makes me very happy so okay. yes thank you in the meantime to wrap up jimmy old son i just wish that earth? movie had something we could you know something pithy you know there's no real pithy lines in forest gump are there no, nothing catchy that we could use to Certainly no slogans, iconic or otherwise, certainly. Of course, the thing with a slogan, Jimmy, it's a bit like a box of chocolates. It melts if you get it warm. And you can quote me on that. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod at Twitter, Instagram and Facebook.